Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller and I serve, as you know, each week as your host and interviewer. Before I introduce today's guest, I just want to give a shout out to the production crew for On Leadership, who has now taped nearly 150 different podcasts. Our producer, Todd Musig, Amber Rackham, our co-producers, Brandon Stone, and Drew Young. I want to thank all the people around the podcast that help to get the blog out each week. John Lofgren, Jennifer Coons, Matt Murdoch, Travis Rust, a large group, about 10 people that work each week helping to review our guests, vet our guests, prep our guests, get the email out, and uh, get it um, sent around the world each week. It is now the largest subscribed to and distributed leadership newsletter, podcast, webcast each week. Thank you so much for your support. If you are consuming it in podcast format, the biggest honor you could pay us would be to go in and review it and to rate it. So today we have another phenomenal guest. Today we have Dr. B.J. Fogg, who actually founded the Behavior Design Lab at Stanford University and authored a new remarkably impactful book called Tiny Habits. B.J. Fogg, joining us from Maui, Hawaii today. Welcome to On Leadership. Hi, Scott. Thank you for having me. Dr. Fogg, this is a good setup you've got. You're a professor at Stanford, yet you're sort of quarantined in perpetuity in Maui. Talk a bit about uh, how you're thriving in the midst of uh, quarantine. Yeah, I mean, we're doing good here. Um, yeah, I'm a researcher at Stanford. I'm not a full-time professor, and that allows me a lot of flexibility. So I actually taught my Stanford class. It wrapped up yesterday. I did it all through Zoom, so I was here in Maui. And so every morning I go out and I surf and have fun in the water. And then I come back here home and I work like crazy. I work really hard and I'm getting lots done. And part of what I've been trying to do is use my work and tiny habits and behavior design to help people with coronavirus challenges. In fact, that was the topic of my class. I changed the whole topic of my class to be responsive to the challenges people are facing right now with coronavirus. I notice there's a similarity from everybody who works from Hawaii. They always talk about how hard they're working. Is that a guilt complex? What's going on there with that? Yeah, I mean, people think I'm on vacation here. Oh my gosh, I wrote most of the book, Tiny Habits, from here. Uh, I'm really productive here. And yeah, I, I do think there's a little bit of guilt and you want to set the record straight <laughs> that I'm just not on big vacation here. I'm here to enjoy nature, of course, and uh, but yeah, working hard. <laughs> BJ, uh, BJ, it's very clear how hard you're working based on the masterpiece that is um, Tiny Habits. I want to reorient you to some of our listeners and guests who may not be familiar with your research and the influence you've had on habits around the world. Of course, we have a thing about habits, right? Dr. Covey's seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, now in its 30th year has sold 40 million copies this morning. Last week's numbers came in. Can you believe that book sold 20,000 copies last week? Through, wow. in just in English in America, the Seven Habits yeah. book sold 20,000 copies across audio, digital, eBooks, and print. I'm also a big fan of a, of a gentleman named Charles Duhigg, I'm sure you know um, from the New York Times, who wrote The Power of Habit. I, I came across your book, Back in the olden days when we used to fly on airplanes, I think it was like in January, I kept seeing your book in airport bookstores. And as an author myself, I'm always browsing books in the space. I have to tell you what I loved most about the cover of your book, which is this little yellow band that was across literally every airport in North America. You had this little belly band that said, this book will change your life. 
Who can resist that? And so although the you book know, is phenomenally well-researched, it's well-branded. Talk a bit about the desire to have this band on here. Well, yeah, it is called a belly band. I didn't know that. Yeah. And when they proposed it, I was like, wait, we... But it's turned out uh, really is eye-catching and in airports and the books in Costco too. A lot of people said, I picked this up because I saw this bright yellow thing yes. that made this promise. And people email me every day saying, you've delivered on this promise. It's changed my life. Thank you very much. Well, it's very true. Uh, I, I picked up the book because of the belly band. Of course, the, 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 <laughs> the topic was interesting, but I'm also, um, I'm, um, I'm a slave to marketing as well too. BJ, take a moment and kind of walk our listeners and viewers through your professional academic history. How did you come at Stanford? You spent a long time, I think about a decade, researching for this book. Talk about why you wrote Tiny Habits. Yeah, so um, well, I, I grew up Mormon, so uh, and not so far away from Stephen Covey in that culture, and so on. Went to Brigham Young University, uh, loved school, but I was kind of a misfit there a little bit at Brigham Young. Um, but I got really interested in the power of language and rhetoric, uh, and being raised Mormon, uh, you're raised with an awareness of behavior, either do these behaviors or don't use behaviors and optimization. Uh, of course, Stephen Covey's books had a huge influence on me, even when I was young, it's kind of part of the culture. Um, and then at a certain point, I won't go through all the details, I decided I wanted to get a doctorate um, and ended up going to Stanford to do my doctorate. And I was looking at how computers could be used to influence people for the better. So overlapping the worlds of technology and persuasion and behavior change and looking at that overlap. And as it turned out, I was the first person to systematically study that overlap. And I called it persuasive computing. Later, I called it persuasive technology. And I ran a series as a experimental psychologist, I ran a series of true laboratory experiments, controlled experiments to show the potential and the pitfalls of using technology to influence people's behavior. And at first people thought my experiments were flawed or crazy or whatever, but then as the industry, uh, not related to my research, but as things like Amazon started influencing people to shop online, then people got it. Um, stayed at Stanford part-time, started a research lab there. About 2008, my interest and the lab's interest shifted away from technology towards just human behavior in general. And so we renamed the lab in 2011, the Behavior Design Lab. And that's what I call my work today, Behavior Design. And the book, Tiny Habits, is really a book about behavior design with a special focus on one method, the easiest, fastest, best way to create habits, the tiny habits method. But the book covers uh, a broader set of models and methods. And we decided to call it the book Tiny Habits because um, people really want to improve their habits. And since 2011, when I started teaching the tiny habits method in public, so way back in 2011, I started teaching a free five-day course that I had no idea what would happen, but people kept joining and joining 200, 300, 400 people every week. And I was coaching them personally through email. Even when we're on vacation here in Maui or another island, I'm doing email, coaching people on habits. Fast forward, learned a ton about how behavior really works, really works in a way that you can't do 
in an academic laboratory setting. So the combination of the academic work plus the hands-on experience of coaching over 40,000 people, I stopped counting at 40,000. I bring both of those together in this book and I'm just super excited that now finally there's a book that explains the tiny habits method and more broadly uh, lays a new foundation of how behavior really works. So this book is not a summary of the old stuff. This is all new models and new methods that I've created and validated over, oh, probably since about 2006 or seven. BJ, remind me. method emerging in 2010. BJ, remind me, you earned your PhD in what area? Uh, communication research, which is a blend of psychology and design and lots of things. So communication is a funny field it allows you to study psychological principles that are applied. And so in in essence, it's applied psychology and I'm an experiments guy. So I design and run true laboratory experiments. The formulaic principle, if you will, the, the premise of your book, Tiny Habits, is that behavior happens when motivation and ability and prompt converge at the same moment. Talk a bit about that. It's a lot there. Yeah. So this turns out, Scott, I, well, I'll just be direct. I know people are going to criticize me. This I call the behavior model. This is the fundamental model about how behavior works. It's like the E equals MC squared, but in behavior. And I know that's a big statement. And I know I'm going to get criticism for saying that. I didn't say it in the book, uh, but it's this all behavior maps to this. Any behavior in all cultures at all ages is motivation, ability, and prompt coming together at the same moment. And with that understanding, you can do a lot of things in terms of understanding and designing for behaviors we couldn't do before. So now we know what comprises behaviors, these three things. We can do a better job at stopping behaviors, at helping people create habits, at helping people do a one-time behavior that's really hard and so on. So in other words, this is an like an answer to a riddle. And once you see it, it's like, oh, bam, there it is. And But with that, you can think about and analyze any type of behavior more effectively and also design for any behavior more effectively. So BG, let's take a few moments because this is, I think, is, is uh, the, the premise and important for our next questions. Walk us through the formula about MAP and what each of those mean. Yeah, so you said it exactly right. And is it okay if I use my blackboard? Yeah, here? please, great. So this is the written version of the model and you can map it out in two dimensions. So there's another way to do it and it's even more powerful. Um, along this dimension is level of motivation and any behavior will map to this. And I think I'm gonna shift to white. People will see it better. So. Um, level of motivation, which can range from high to low. Hey, BJ, next time, can you have your markers be better prepared? Would you mind? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Here's what's great in the tiny habits method and the whole mindset around it is it's all about not feeling guilty or bad about yourself or beating yourself up. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm Catholic. You're not you're not speaking my language. You're not speaking my language, bro. (laughs) Well, I was raised Mormon, but this is an important point, Scott. We'll get back to this. It's 
the subtitle of my book is the small changes that change everything. Yeah. And one of those is you learn to process the world differently and your own behavior differently. When something doesn't work as intended, you don't beat yourself up. You go, oh, good for me for adjusting. Good yeah. for me for adapting. Yeah. One of the central themes of my book and my work is you change best by feeling good, not by feeling bad, yeah. which is like a huge shift. And so what happens as you apply the tiny habits method and get the mindset of it is like, even when things don't go as it's intended, you don't get down on yourself. Instead, you, you celebrate and recognize, hey, I'm, I'm adjusting, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> and in this case, I'm mapping out the behavior model. Along this dimension, you have level of motivation that can range from high to low. And along this dimension, you have ability to do the behavior. And that's also a range from high to low, but on this side, easy to do. So behaviors that are really simple, like do two push-ups, floss one tooth. And on this side, hard to do, like run a marathon. And so you've got motivation on this axis, ability on this axis, and the prompt is the thing that says, do this behavior now. And so if somebody is up here, they're motivated to do a behavior like donate to Stanford, and it's really easy to do when prompted that person will donate in contrast if there's low motivation it's hard to do they're right here when prompted they don't donate and there's one more concept and i'm going to pull out a, a white marker that's actually working to show this this line is super important i call it the action line and if somebody is anywhere above this line when prompted, they do the behavior. So any combination of motivation ability that puts somebody above this line when prompted, they do it. Below the line, they do not. So the tiny habits method came from looking at my own graphic of the behavior model, motivation, ability, the action line. And I looked right here and I was like, wow, even if motivation is low, if the behavior is really easy to do, all you need is a prompt. In other words, you don't have to sustain high levels of motivation if you make it really easy. Well, BJ, so I put that. Yeah. Sorry, in your book, you share a superb example about this, as you related to the Red Cross and the Haiti earthquake funding. Kind of recreate, if you will, the setting, because it really has got has got me thinking about at Franklin Covey how we motivate our clients to engage as well. Walk us through that um, scenario. Yeah. So the key is prompting a behavior when it's really easy for somebody to do something. So in this example from the book, and it's a true story, I'm in the gym working out, I'm on the cyclical uh, bike doing some cardio, and I get a text message that says, donate now, it's from the Red Cross. And all I had to do was uh, you know, click a button and send a message and the donation would happen, which was, my motivation at that point was pretty high and they made it so I was right here, Scott, high motivation. They made it easy to do. All I needed was a prompt, a donate now. So bam, I did it. Many other people did it and they got really good results. $20 million so, in a week through that effort, right? Yeah, it was really big. Yeah. And when you look at anything that works, what's to, to get people to do a behavior, they're prompting people when they have some level of motivation, some level of ability. When you look at things that behaviors that aren't happening, it's because somebody didn't get prompted 
Mike, if I didn't get that uh, text from the Red Cross, I wouldn't have donated. They prompted me. Uh, or if it's not happening means it was too hard to do. It was over here. Or if it's not happening, there's not enough motivation. They're below the action mark. So this, uh, this mapping of the behavior model with this action line shows the relationship between motivation and ability. And if something's hard to do, if it's hard to do, then motivation has to be high up here. And when your motivation sags, you no longer do the behavior. Whereas if it's easy to do, motivation can be high or low. Uh, and that insight is what led me to start creating these really, really simple habits and led me to the tiny habits method. Make it so easy that you don't have to rely on motivation or willpower to create the habit. All you have to do is make sure there's a prompt. And in the tiny habits method, there's a hack for that that we might talk about later. BJ, every business leader in the world should be fixated on this conversation because you think about some of the best business model, I mean, look at GoFundMe, right? I mean, the number of people that I've given money to, $10, $20, $100 for some reason or a cancer you know, fund or save someone, their house burned down, you're exactly right. Are there some examples where you've seen a disruption in business where an organization researched this, applied this model, and allowed them to leapfrog ahead of their competition? Yes. Let's, uh, let me use Instagram as the example. Yeah. So the student that turned out to be the co-founder of Instagram was in my class in 2006. That was before I'd fully put together the behavior model, but I knew that simplicity changed behavior. So that was a lot of what I was preaching is make things so easy to do, so easy to do. And so when you look at why Instagram beat out their competition, one of the factors was they made it so easy to do. In other words, they were here on the easy to do side. Meaning, even when your motivation sagged, it was still you still could do Instagram. In contrast to the competitors, where it was harder to do, and when your motivation sags, then you're below the action line. So one of the key maxims I teach is simplicity changes behavior. And when you look at anything that's gone big, except games, games are an exception, uh, from Google to Instagram to Amazon, on and on and on and on. Notice they help people do what they already wanted to do. So they tapped into existing motivation and they made it really easy to do. And then there was some way to prompt people to do the behavior they wanted. So you could pick any product or service that's gone big and all of them can be understood in terms of it's helping people do what they already want to do. And they made it super easy and there was a way to prompt the behavior. And that's what led to uh, the products or services taking off. They got people to do behaviors. BG, this is a bit of the hot seat. I don't mean to ambush you. You're not a business um, strategist by nature. You're kind of cold into this. Are there some industries that you're thinking, if someone figures this out, this is gonna transform this SIC code? Or is there a company that you feel like is on the cusp of um, trying to figure this out? Well, for good or bad purposes. I mean, that's maybe one both. Of the, maybe both. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I I mean uh, to your point, I mean, pornography has been made yeah. enormously easy, right, for people to access. And it's had, I think, by everyone's measured, a very deleterious impact on a lot of people. There's an example of, yeah. 
ma mapping to your formula. Yeah. Drugs. Well, I, yeah, yeah. The, the porn companies don't call me, but the soda companies do, the candy companies, and they're organizations that I'm just not interested in teaching. Right. Because I do these professional training sessions I call boot camps, and there's only 12 seats a month, and I'm not going to teach a soda company how to get more soda into the world. I, I think that's a, a terrible thing uh, to be promoting. But then on the flip side, there are companies about helping people feel less anxious, meditate more, which is a challenge. Um, one of the projects in my Stanford lab right now is teaching this systematic way of thinking to professionals in the climate change space. In other words, the biggest problem on the planet is saving the planet. And what we're doing is to creating a curriculum to teach those people for free. Uh, in this case, it's free because it's such an important thing, how to change behavior reliably so we can uh, have a, a fighting chance on saving the planet and living more, uh, living better. So, um, and during this time of coronavirus, I changed the focus of my class to be behavior design for coronavirus challenges. So I'm very interested in helping people be happier and healthier, very interested in helping people change their behavior so we preserve the planet. And in that case, the strategy is to teach the professionals who are working, who their jobs are, to help people live more sustainably, teaching them how to use this and other aspects of my work to be more effective. In what, now we've run two pilots of this already with uh, climate change professionals, and it went really well. And the surprise in the first pilot was not a single one of the people. So we brought uh, 16 people together and I taught them on Zoom. None of them had systematic training and behavior change. So in other words, it's their jobs to change behavior, but they don't have a way to do that. And that's why we said, we're gonna make this uh, the number one project in my Stanford lab. We pushed it aside for a few months because of coronavirus. But now that my class wrapped up yesterday, that is now the major project. So uh, ambitious, yes, but we gotta do it. We, we, we can, anytime behavior change or getting people to do behaviors is involved, the behavior model applies and behavior design applies. And Stanford gives me a whole bunch of flexibility. I can pick any topic I want. I mean, at, when I teach, it's always about behavior change and my work in behavior design, but I can always pick the topic. Last year, it was about reducing screen time. So the whole class and now research project in my lab was reducing screen time. Then it was climate action, but then we wedged in the coronavirus stuff because it was so, uh, so urgent. And now that's still urgent, that will be ongoing, but we're bringing back um, the climate action piece and helping people understand behavior systematically and how to design for the outcomes that we need to achieve. BJ, the big idea here is, you know, tiny habits we're gonna talk about for a moment, but simplicity. And I've spent the better part of 30 years of my career in corporate America. And simplicity is not the culture in most organizations. There's a, there's a counterculture, which is heavier and more intellectual and more PowerPoint slides and more decks and longer meetings. And I find some of the most effective leaders err on the side of simplicity, but that's actually not the way most organizations work. If you talk simple, 
if you can explain simple, then you're probably a simple mind or a simple thinker. But we know the fact of the matter is, is the most effective leaders are those that can take complex thoughts and make them simple. I'm guessing you're experiencing that same challenge in a lot of your own work. Yes. You know, it takes real courage to uh, propose a product that's really simple. Even this, B equals MAP, people, it's so simple. People are like, no, that can't be the answer. It's like, yeah, it's simple but powerful. It's elegant, not just simple. Um, yeah, it takes real courage. Um, but when you look at the pattern of what actually works, Google started as what? A search box. And in the context of the time when they launched, there was AltaVista and Yahoo. There were these landing pages that have everything going on the landing pages. And I remember uh, I was running research um, for a, an international company at the time. And I remember the, the people in that office saying, oh my gosh, you know, here's Google, all oh, this little box. And they laughed at how simple it was. Well, it totally worked. When Twitter launched, uh, they got, I think it was TechCrunch. Pardon me, TechCrunch, if it wasn't you, but it was somebody who said, this is so simple, this is so idiotic. 140 characters, what are we gonna do with this? When Amazon launched, it was only books. So if you look at the pattern of the companies that have gone big, all of them started with something very, very simple that people wanted to do. And they didn't start with all these features and bells and whistles. I can't think of a single example of a more recent company or venture that started with complexity and one. Everything's even Instagram, so simple. It's only on iOS. Only after they get traction do they add things like Gmail and calendar and other things. Um, only after Instagram got traction did it start doing more. So everything big started small. Wow. And that's I've been preaching that to my students for a long time. Because as Stanford students, they can think about complex things. And they have been rewarded for being able to live in the world of complexity. So it was my job, and it's probably with uh, the people in this audience as well, is helping that simplicity changes behavior. Now, within a corporate setting where you walk in and you propose something that's super simple, that takes courage. Uh, and there's resources in the book, Tiny Habits, to help you present that convincingly. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ways to do it is to say, look at all these things that went big. They all started small. That's the pattern. Make it really, really small. Tap into what people already want. Make sure there's a way to prompt the behavior. BG, let's talk about the anatomy of tiny habits. You call it kind of the ABCs of tiny habit. Um, anchor moments, new tiny behavior, and then instant celebration, which I think you call shine. If I'm not mistaken, there's another word for that. Walk us through those three parts of tiny habits, because a lot of your examples in the book are about people that had you know, goals where motivation wasn't enough, right? They really wanted to change their habits, and you really advocate, like Dr. Covey did, about these, he called them trim tab. You know, sometimes the smallest changes can lead to the biggest consequences in your life. Yeah, well, and I didn't start with ABC. It just turns out it happened to be ABC. Yeah. So in the tiny habits method, so let me step back and set the stage a little bit. Um, behavior design is the broad term for my work. Uh, and it includes a set of models, 
this is a model and a set of methods. Tiny habits is a method, and I call that behavior design. So now with tiny habits, we're talking about a method, and it goes like this. Take any new habit you want, any behavior, and make it really, really small. Make it tiny. So instead of thinking about doing 20 push-ups, make it two. Instead of thinking about flossing all your teeth, one tooth. Why? Well, because we've looked at it, if it's super tiny, then you're not going to uh, need to have much motivation to do it. Next, where does it fit naturally in your life? And this is for anchor. What does it come after? And this is a way of doing the prompt. So flossing naturally comes after you brush. So the recipe becomes after I brush, I will floss one tooth. Anchor, tiny behavior, right? The tiny behavior is what you want to be the habit. The way you wire in the habit is a technique we call celebration. And celebration is something you do to cause a positive emotion inside yourself. What you're doing with that emotion is you are self-reinforcing, okay? You're not leaving uh, the reinforcement to chance. You're doing it deliberately. Now, there's over 100 ways to celebrate. I have 100 in the book. There's many more. Some people, it's just do a fist bump and go, awesome. Other people, victory. Some people do it very quietly and just nod their heads. I mean, we celebrate babies. In fact, I was just watching a video uh, of my niece this morning. She's just learning to walk. And guess what her parents are doing? They're celebrating her. So helping her wire in the habit of walking. Now, they don't know, hey, let's celebrate her. It's natural. So when you look at how behavior wires into our lives, you will see the pattern in athletes, in babies, and so on, that it's emotions that create habits. It's not repetition, it's emotions. And in tiny habits, you don't leave that emotion to chance. That's this. You find a way to help yourself feel successful on demand. So it turns out it ends up being ABC. Um, I'm not proud of that necessarily because often when I hear acronyms, I think it's contrived. Right. Or somehow they cram something in to make it spell a special word or be ABC. But in this case, it does turn out to be Anchor, behavior, celebration, and those are the core components of the tiny habits method. BJ, I'm gonna segue for a moment. There's millions of people watching you right now. Will you like let us in? You're on a Zoom call, you have a you have a Zoom background, but you're using what looks like a blackboard with markers. Will you just like talk to us around what are you using right now? Because I can see a lot of people wanting to adopt this for their own meetings. Kind of deconstruct the kind of marker you're using in the background behind you. It's really <laughs> helpful. Oh, wow, we're getting meta here, but I love it. I'm, I love teaching, and I'm a huge fan of always upping my game when I teach, so I'm super happy to share this with you. So once I realized that I was going to be here in Maui for the duration, including teaching my Stanford class, I'd, I'd already done probably five or 600 hours of teaching on Zoom, so that was, was not new. But then I thought, I just need to be able to walk in, turn on some lights, and be ready to go. So what I have in my Zoom room, so one of our homes here in Maui is now the Zoom room. So I do have a lighting setup where I can turn lights off and on, on demand. I, uh, I have some natural lighting coming in, but often it's cloudy, so then I have to turn on these lights. I'm at a stand-up desk. Behind me is a, a pull-down screen like you have in a classroom. That like a white, usually it's, would it's, be it's white. a white screen or is it a black screen? Well, it's white, but I turned it around and it's black on the back. Thank you. 
So I have the screen here. So it's BJ, against, slow down, uh, slow, slow down. So you actually have, in essence, a pull-down screen that you would use to show a movie on, and you flipped it around, and you're just using the back, which was not intended for any purpose. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it was, wasn't intended. Uh, it's a little bit hard to erase, but it works. And then I just got some supposedly water-soluble markers. <laughs> and then I set up some orchids, which are $16 at the drugstore here in Maui. At Trader Joe's, little, right? <laughs> to add a little bit. So, and then I've got a huge screen in front of me, a gigantic screen in front of me, because when I'm teaching my Zoom sessions with my students or with my boot campers, I want to see your expressions in your faces. Right. You know, as a good teacher, you're reading expressions and you're responding contingently to those expressions. And so I have a huge monitor. I built a table for it. And this is a stand-up desk that I can make go up and down depending on what I'm doing, standing now. And that's the setup. And what's the brand of marker you're using? Oh, you are so funny. Um, I've tried different types. I mean, we're, we're getting... Yeah. And so after we're done, you're just going to take a wet cloth and wipe the back of that off. It'll all come off. Yeah, it takes a little scrubbing, to be honest. But yeah. Yeah, no, I'm yes. sorry. I'm, I, I have a PhD, best-selling author, renowned researcher, and I'm deconstructing. <laughs> but you know what? Everyone in America, the world is living your life right now. And I've actually not seen anybody able to master this kind of conversation better than you. I mean, we, we do this for a living oh. here. So kudos to you, sir. Thank you. Hey, what's next? As we, we land our discussion today, uh, Tiny Habits uh, runaway bestseller. You made it onto On Leadership. I mean, it's the pinnacle of your career being on our podcast today. Well, what's next for you? Well, um, it really is looking at how we can help these climate change professionals learn how to change behavior. I mean, I, I can't imagine a priority that would be higher than that. Yes, coronavirus came in and we had to push this back for a few months and that's still a priority to help people with loneliness, with isolation, with productivity, with um, helping them not transmit or get the virus, all of those things. Uh, but really the thinking is toward um, helping save the planet. On a, in a geekier plane, um, one of the research projects that were um, picking up again we had to postpone this is looking at how behavior happens over time so the behavior model is a snapshot it's one behavior it's like taking a picture but what's more interesting and powerful is looking at how behavior happens over time behavior one behavior two behavior three each one of these has a behavior model associated with it so if you want somebody to donate you might get them to go to a party, which increases their motivation to sign up on a mailing list, which then allows you to prompt them to donate. So there's a way, and those of you familiar with conversion funnel will understand this kind of boom, bam, bam thinking, but you can take each one of those behaviors and map it out and say, what's lacking for this behavior? Well, they're lacking motivation and prompt. So let's bring them to a party where they're excited about the organization. And then let's create a way we can prompt them to donate. So then the donation behavior can happen easily. So, and Scott, stop me if this gets too geeky, but what we're building on is some earlier work I did where you look at how behavior happens over time. 
And in the world of behavior, there has not been a way to write that out. In the world of music, you've got musical notation. In the world of chemistry, you have ways of writing out how chemical reactions happen. And those skilled can write out music and read music. And in behavior, we haven't had that. So that's um, one of the projects in the lab is to complete this notation system for behavior. So we can write out, wow, what's a really great on, let's take the onboarding experience of Instagram. Let's map it out and see what's going on here. Now we know what a, a great onboarding experience looks like in systematic terms, which means we can replicate it. So that's on the more conceptual geeky side. It will be very, very practical. But for now, there's a lot of thinking and testing about what's the best way to map this out. And there can be multiple behavioral inputs, say, to this one. So it's a really interesting problem to me. Uh, and it's only now solvable because now we know what the fundamental components of behavior are. So then we can start looking at behavior sequences in a systematic way. Um, so to answer your question, what's next? Well, let's do our best to help save the planet by changing behavior. And then on a more conceptual, basic level, let's finally figure out how do we, what's a notation system for behavior? And how do we help teach that? And how do we help people learn that system? I mean, imagine where music would be if we had no musical notation. If you couldn't write out music or if you couldn't play a song from sheet music. That's where we've been with behavior. We didn't have a way to write out behavior. So I, I, I have a hunch that once we have a notation system for behavior, it's going to open possibilities like we've never had before. So those are some of the things I'm super excited about and some things I'll be putting a lot of time to in the rest of this year. I judge all the guests here based on if I'd invite them to my house for a dinner party. You are invited. The next time you're back in Utah, my wife and I would love to host you in Salt Lake. BJ, you mentioned earlier in the uh, discussion that you, um, outside of Stanford, you kind of teach a course. People can sign up for it. Can you walk through yeah. how someone can become an eligible candidate to join one of these monthly spots? Yeah, I live one foot in academics, one foot in industry, and I've done that ever since uh, I was a student at Brigham Young, in fact. Um, there are three things. One, there's a free tiny habits course online and I've offered that since 2011. There's a certification so people can uh, work uh, and learn the method in depth and get certified to use it. But what, what you're talking about is what I call a boot camp. I now do it on Zoom four Fridays in a row. It's really it's even better than the in-person one. I didn't think it would be, but it is. And so in that boot camp, I teach my models and methods. It builds on the book, Tiny Habits. So it starts here. And then I build on top of that of how do you think clearly about behavior? How do you design for the behaviors you want? And how do you do it remotely? So there's a, a digital toolkit now for behavior design. So the teaching right now is all remote on Zoom. And the training is to be able to do behavior design remotely. So that's my boot camp. The way you get involved with that is you just email me. I mean, there's only 12 seats a month. So we, you apply and we pick the people who we think, frankly, who we think can change the world for the better. That's who we're looking for. 
Maybe there's 11 seats because I've got the first one already approved. So there'll be 11 seats for the next session. Dr. Fogg <laughs> from Stanford, from Maui, thank you for joining us. The book is a masterpiece. Tiny Habits, the small changes that change everything. I encourage you to pick it up. I appreciate you coming today. And we'll see you back here, I'm sure, again as a guest in the future and next at my house for a dinner party. BJ, nice meeting you. You're on. Thank you so much, Scott. Be safe and you and your family. Hey, thanks for joining us today. The book is a masterpiece. I mean, the big idea here, right, is resist the temptation culturally to complexify everything, make everything so complicated. The best leaders, to quote Dr. Fogg, the most courageous leaders are those who make it simple. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you here next week with a new guest on leadership.